Sonic States. Hello, welcome to Sonic Talk number 82. Um, we're going live on Wednesday, or sorry, Thursday, the 17th of April, 2008. Um, you may have noticed last week we weren't all together, and um, that was due to this uh, random amount of other people had other stuff to do i can't believe people have got other things to do other than be members of this panel but i suppose it must happen from time to time so uh, we were very fortunate to talk to mr john van eaton who uh, gave us uh, an enlightening chat about his life on the road so check back one episode if you missed that um, but this week we've got a, a, a fulsome panel and i think i'll start with uh, mr dave robinson who's uh, your regularity is getting you're, you're getting more regular i'm, bla- I'm glad to <laughs> That's what my doctor tells me, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad. Well, Dave Robinson is, of course, editor of ProSound News Europe. Uh, you can find his words at prosoundnewseurope.com. In fact, um, you can find a digital download version, which is really smart. I, I tried yeah, that the other day. Really good. Tell us about it. Uh, well, we just launched it at the end of uh, the end of last week, and we've been meaning to have, I mean, before you could just download the magazine as PDFs, but we have this Cirrus software, I think it's called, and uh, you upload it, upload your PDFs, and it converts it into a, a pagey, turny, magazine-y type thing, and uh, you can uh, you can do searches, and uh, you can uh, cut and paste the text from the PDF files and send them on to your, to your friends, and uh, on the, the index page, if you actually click on page 52 in the contents page, as it was written in the magazine, that actually goes through to page fifty-two within the uh, within the actual uh, digital edition. Plus, Remarkable. all the uh, all the web links yeah. that, that are written into the document automatically become hot as well. So it's, it? it's very nifty. We've got a, a lot of good um, reaction to it. And it's just one of those. It's to do with um, enhancing the um, the experience of Prosa News. So you're going to get a like, corporate gonna, line. Are you going to let advertisers um, have their ads clickable? Um, any uh, any. Link, any www type link, I believe, is live, and that's in adverts or editorial. Oh, right. Okay. So is there much work to be done? I mean, because presumably, you know, the, in terms of the index and the contents, you know, that must have to be manually kind of done by somebody. Do, is that well, a lot no, of extra work? All it is, all it is, Nick, is we just take the, the magazine version. Um, when it's printed, it's, it's sent off to a server in PDF form, and then the, the printers take it off there and, and uh, print it up. So we just um, send the, the completed PDFs elsewhere. And uh, and then it's it's uploaded by a particular software engine, and hey presto, there it is. That's really cool. That's really it, cool. It's uh, it's quite nifty. We started doing it across the uh, across some of the other magazines at the company, and um, I think it's it's very much uh, the way forward in terms of digital printing. You know, I think it's still very important that people have a uh, a hard you know printed copy in their hand, uh, and until we can until we can read a magazine digitally on the toilet on a train going through a tunnel we're still going to need printed magazines that's the uh, that's the criteria that's the that's the key moment that's it that's your defining that's the uh, game over when you can do that yeah well you can still be number one while you're having a number two <laughs> <laughs> you can use that as a tagline if you like dave Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> well, Dave, thanks for joining us this week. Um, and um, we've also got another Dave in the form of Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Hello. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm good. Have you had a similarly uh, wonderful week? Well, two weeks, uh, actually. It's two weeks, blimey, yeah. No, last week I was in Harrogate, which is a very nice city. Spa or town. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's as expensive you, as Bath, basically. Did you make it to Nairsborough and see Old Mother Shipton and get... Um, Get to a cave? Uh, no, drove past it and wondered what the hell it was. 
Well, I can tell you, no. it's a giant. It's it's a giant sort of lime scale, um, sort of stalactite formation, and they've got these uh, in the old. That was reputed to be a very old lady who, an old witch who lived there, who advised you know previous kings of England and what have you, um, way back. And uh, the Victorians kind of turned it into this kind of grotto, and there you can see all these people used to put things in the way of the dripping water, and it would get kind of lime scaled. So you can see these kind of Victorian top hats and boots and umbrellas and all sorts of things that people have put in there it's a bit like wookie hole then sort of but um sort of much more linked to this kind of weird magical past with uh this sort of har- horrible old witch who used to live there but she actually made a prophecy like wookie hole then is that right i'm oh, sorry <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. Check, I'll, I'll check my history but um <laughs> apparently there's a bridge over nersborough um where uh, they say is if that bridge ever falls down then it'll be the end of the world oh damn i wish i'd known yeah so not there, but I'm glad uh, glad you made it back, all right, and didn't um, didn't bump into her. Although she might have been able to tell you some good things as well as bad things, of course. No, sorry, I'm rambling now. Anyway, Dave, thanks very much for coming. Um, and also um, on the other side of the pond, Mr. Rich Hilton, fresh from Connecticut, I hope. Quite fresh, yes. Good, and still still sounding wonderful on your uh, your uh, apogee. What was it called? Duet. Duet, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Does sound um, good. I've been listening to some other podcasts, and I'm re- you're sort of out qualitying me. I'm going to have to do something about it because you sound uh, like you should uh, be the host. Well, I'll try not to be the host. And last week, actually, what I did is I took my high pass filter off in the hope that I would sound more sort of fulsome, and I got a load of stick for it in the comments saying, "Oh, you know, you need a pop filter. You need to do." It. And I was like, "Okay, yeah, sorry. I just I wanted, I just wanted so to try and sound a bit better, but obviously, I'm not doing very well." <laughs> yeah, I saw that comment. Um, I think, if we're lucky, Mark um, T- uh, Tinley will be joining us, although he rang me just before the show to say that he was half an hour from home, so uh, we may get him. But anyway, welcome one and all, and um, I think we should first go with um, the TC Gibson, it's on, it's off, because uh, I don't know if those who have been following the news, um, obviously TC Electronic and Gibson announced a merger just before um, Mesa, um, a few, well, was nearly a month ago. Um, I did an interview with uh, with one of the chaps, and you know it was all on, everything was good, and then suddenly it's off. Um, Dave Spears, you pointed me at a link, but I, I noticed um, Dave Robinson, you had some information on your ProSoundNews dot com Europe dot com ProSoundNews. Yeah, we Europe. had a new time about it. Yes, that's what <laughs> um, I was trying to say. It, it was a it was a surprise to me as a, as to a lot of people, and it, I think it sort of emerged over the weekend before last. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. And unfortunately, other than uh, the, the official statement saying that uh, they found that they couldn't work together and it wasn't going to go ahead, the two parties, Henry from Gibson and Anders from uh, TC, have both signed NDAs. So they ain't going to say any more. Now, whether it was the fact there were two egos and um, them actually working together wasn't going to work i don't know but um that's the one we all like to think of you know it sounds much more rock and roll doesn't it massive table thumping arguments well what i would say is this and i I have to choose my words very carefully here is that it's a merger rather than a takeover so that would mean two guys working at an equal level now i know that um the TC Group, which also owns Tannoy and Lab Group and Amplifiers and you know, TC Electronic and TC Applied Technologies, they seem to work very well under the, the bigger TC Group umbrella. And um, 
there haven't been any real problems there since uh, TC took over these other brands a few years ago. Martin Audio was with them and is now part of the, the Loud Technologies group. That's the AW and Mackie and Tapco. Yeah. But um, they, uh, they've managed to exist and been successful as a company. Now, again, choosing my words, uh, Gibson have subsumed a variety of brands, including Opcode, who made Vision, of course, and uh, didn't really do anything that I could see with that technology. They've never really been um, forgiven for that, though, have they, to be fair? I mean, I'm, you know, everybody gets to make a mistake, I would guess, but um, they, that is the one that always comes up as a sort of, oh, yeah, that's all they do. I mean, they can't, it, you know, it's not just about that, surely. Well, we can only speculate. <laughs> How embarrassing, um, though. How embarrassing. Surely that's got to be one of the most embarrassing things. It is kind of weird, certainly. I just... Um, I thought it would have been an ideal opportunity, as I'm sure a lot of people did. You get a, a company that makes guitar effects together with a company that makes guitars. They can make bespoke packages. They could make, you know, uh, a guitar in a box, my first playing kit, my first electric guitar, all that kind of stuff. And uh, you'd, you'd think you'd see them, those kind of ideas, that sort of synergy. Hell, yeah, um, they could have become Behringer, couldn't they? Well, indeed. But... Um, uh, that's not to be so i mean tc you know do actually as as the you know the the, the chap we spoke to i'm afraid I didn't make a note of his name the, no it wasn't it was the american um ceo uh of, of the american side of things i mean he right. said you know that tc electronic were at the top of their game and as people i've spoken to they are and we've had dealings with them they are really they're a great company to deal with they're just really on it and don't mess you about and kind of seem pretty sorted so yeah you know hopefully that'll that'll be continue to be the same on a very slightly related note i just got the nam playback spring 2008 magazine and in the back, um, it has a viewpoint section where it says overheard at NAM university, uh, you know, the university session things. Yeah. And, uh, there's a quote from Henry from a Gibson guitar uh, saying, um, with guitar, it may actually take months before the sounds you're making is compelling. The kids today have so many great leisure choices with games, with gaming, you're instantly gratified. You're having fun from the first level. Music always has the, had this barrier to overcome. Guitar Hero helps us overcome that hurdle in that they get a live guitar experience that will lead to them people going up in levels and not just game levels, but eventually to music making. I think it's fundamentally the best thing that's happened to the industry, particularly to guitar. And also, obviously, he's uh, got a lawsuit against um, against the, the makers of Guitar Hero. So. Th- this month's gala uh, that I'm doing uh, for Niles Foundation, uh, Gibson, that guy Henry from Gibson, is one of the honorees, and we will be uh, resplendent in our Gibson guitars that night. And uh, I'm interested to, to meet him and to see what they've got. You can ask him. Last- yeah. Well, I, don't know, I don't know if I really want... I don't know if I want to do that, but... Uh, <laughs> But I can tell you, the last product that they made that, that I've tried, which is that Les Paul with the six separate outputs, mm. left a scratch in our heads as to why. <laughs> mm. Is that the Ethernet guitar? Yeah, yeah, it's got an Ethernet connector, goes to a breakout box, and the wonderful thing is supposed to be you can send it to six separate amplifiers or six separate inputs or each string. It's, you know, it's a hexaphonic pickup. I saw my first hexaphonic pickup in 1979. Attached to an ARP avatar. I think that's perhaps <laughs> why they're um, looking for a technology partner, to be honest. But anyway, um, Mark Tinley, are you there? Hello, I am here. Ah, hello. I'm glad you could uh, be with us, Mark, to Mr. Mark Tinley. MySpace.com forward slash Tinley, isn't it? Or is it Mark Tinley? Mark Tinley, yeah. 
Okay, and of course, Mr. Rich Hilton, I forgot to say, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Indeed. Indeed. Mark, how the devil are you? You've, you've, you've zoomed back. Well, you, I hope you weren't breaking any speed limits and doing anything kind of crazy on your motorbike to get here, were you? Uh, no, I was very good. Are we doing Sonic Talk 82? Is that, I have no idea what's going on. I literally walked in the door and switched the computer on, and then it all crashed, and then I had to restart it. So That's the um, idea, Sonic Talk 82. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, well, we, we, we've just talked about the TC Gibson, um, TC Electronic Gibson merger, which is off, and we're just about to launch into the, the actual topics. Ah, okay. Being, I thought you were wh- talking about when you said TC and Gibson wasn't working, I thought that they'd been making stuff in China, perhaps, and... No, it was a, it's a poor quality thing, like my Nokia. Oh, is that? How, how yeah, is, I was wondering about that. How do you get in on with your Nokia, your personal um, affront on Nokia? What's what's going oh, on? I there? paid them. Uh, I paid them about fifty dollars yeah. to get my phone back. Yeah. And uh, now half the buttons don't work on it, but it's it's uh, so it's marginally worse than it was. But then they absolutely refuse to repair it. So you get the vo- get the voice activation working. No, because somebody, in my plight and my uh, ranting about my N95 being completely rubbish, somebody has very kindly given me a BlackBerry. Yay! Hey. So I no longer need an N95. Ah, oh, but um, don't get the great I'm video, gonna go, I'm going to enter the world of BlackBerry, and I bought myself a new camera because I figured that um, I, the, the N95's never been quite as good as my camera, so if I start carrying a camera again... Yes. Well, anyway, Mark, glad to have you with us. Um, we're going to dump, ju- jump, stri- dump. We'll jump straight in with the first topic, which is talking heads. And I don't know why this came out. I think um, my daughter was just randomly clicking on YouTube uh, as she is because she can't read yet, um, looking for I don't know CBBS or Disney stuff, and uh, suddenly st- um, talking heads came up. And I thought um, I'd just play it, and then we could have a chat about them. So here they come. <laughs> when they were absolutely massive i mean you know the, they were just huge because they kind of spanned the gap or they were the first people who started doing kind of quite big kind of club records didn't they they, they had sort of 12 inch mixes of all that kind of stuff and um i remember seeing the show and looking looking at the the videos on you on youtube they they were so energetic as well just running about all over the place and it um i just thought we should talk about them because i haven't yet does anyone anyone fans of Talking Head, or am I just going to be talking into a void here? Yeah, yeah, yep, definitely. Oh, good, Dave. You didn't say anything. Um, I'm. Uh, I kind of. I got sick and tired of hearing "Road to Nowhere" when I was a student, as yeah. if everybody felt it was some anthem they had to get up and do their kind of uh, funny dance to. But, <laughs> um, but, but you know, we're on that shut up. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Once in a Lifetime is still a fabulous, absolutely fabulous track. And I do, you know, wake up in the morning and think, how do I get here? Usually when I'm lying in the gutter somewhere with a drool coming off my, uh, off my chin. But um, You're sounding a bit, a bit tired today. Is that what happened to you this morning? <laughs> yeah. I had an encounter with David Byrne just a couple of weeks ago on the Heathrow Express, which I think said more about the record industry 
than uh, than anything else. He was he was um, taking the Heathrow Express from Heathrow to Paddington, and uh, a silver-haired gentleman was sat in front of me. And the conductor, the t- sorry, the ticket inspector came down and said, "Oh, you've got a first-class ticket here, sir." And this American voice said, uh, "Oh, what does that mean?" She said, "Well, you can go down the other part of the." of the train because uh, there's more leg room and you get newspapers and he went oh oh okay and I was sat there talking to um, uh, to Phil Ward actually from Music Trade News and we were talking about something or other and this guy got up turned around to put his bags together and we both looked into the face of David Byrne on the Heathrow Express which completely banjaxed us you know completely poleaxed us into whatever conversation our lips were moving but we were just going oh uh, David Byrne uh. and he sort of got up and got his stuff together and wandered off down the train to go, to go and sit in first class but you, you couldn't help but think to yourself you know back in the day there'd be a limo waiting at the airport to pick him up and bring him into London. He wouldn't be taking the Heathrow Express with the rest of the plebs. I've never met him. Never seen him before in the flesh. He always seemed to be a, a kind of the sort of bloke that would be quite interesting or possibly just really weird. You know, when Jerry Harrison was involved in um, GarageBand.com. It was an internet startup um, in the late 90s. Um, it, there was him and there was um, there was the tech head and then there was the, the accountant and they were the three directors and they were based in San Francisco and they were called www.garageband.com and I don't know whether they still exist today they probably do but they were using the name GarageBand before Apple took it you know well, stuck a capital B in it but um, it was a um, it was, was one of these very brave internet startups um, where you uh, put in your demo as an unsigned band and you voted for other bands and there was a kind of a selection system where whichever band got the most votes after three months got 250 grand's worth of recording time in Jerry Harrison's studio um, which is a great idea wow. and what it actually was it was the, the algorithm that was used to to, to uh, enable bands to be voted for and kind of rise to the top was was a bit of code that they were, as far as I know, they were going to use in other systems, for instance, for um, to allow record companies to to, uh, to test their material on the public before it was released properly. So it was a whole mechanism they could use for other things. But um, I think like a lot of these things, it kind of uh, the, the enthusiasm and the money well, sort of uh, filtered out. He went and, to, He went too early by the sound of it. Still there, is it? Oh right, yeah, cool. It's, it's, but are they still doing that now? Are they still doing the kind of unsigned band stuff? Yeah, it's still uh, and it's run by a company called I Like, of which Jerry Harrison is still a director, right? And George Martin is on the advisory board. Uh, well, there you go. That's why Apple ain't touched them. Rich, you it's, said it's one of those. I think they started off and they started out with great plans, like everybody did in the eight, in the early two, early late nineties, late nineties, early two thousand, and um, and then of course they ran out of money, or they they were hit. I have to choose my words, but uh, they they were hit like everybody else in the whole dot com collapse, and then they got a second round of funding, and um, things got a whole lot better, and they're still there today. So there you go. Rich, you said um, you said you're a fan of Talking Heads. Are you? I mean, I imagine with your far and wide travel, have you ever kind of come across them professionally? Um, no, not directly. I know a lot of people who have, like a good friend of mine engineered for David Byrne quite a bit. I know another guy who played drums for him. I have another guitarist friend who's played with, uh, Chris and Tina in Tom Tom Club. Um, and I was quite familiar with them as the progression occurred. I heard the first album when it came out. Um, friends of mine were really into it. I was, uh, sort of warm to it but not hot on it because it was the most interesting of 
the burgeoning kind of punk things that I'd heard up to that point. And uh, loved that, uh, what was that first hit they had? Um, uh, Psycho Killer. Yeah, Psycho Killer, that's right. And then the next album that they started with Eno was just, uh, running into Eno at that point in their career was incredibly fortuitous. I was just going to say, I mean, that was the turning point, wasn't it? That took them, took them sort of into U2 international massive territory. What was their first album? Because I, I had their first album. 77. More Talking Heads 77. About, more songs about building and food. Building and food. That, building some food. That's the second one. Is it? Yes. The first one was called Talking Heads 77. It's the one with Psycho Killer. Oh, wow. I never heard that. And I, I started on more songs about buildings and food. And that was a great album. And it had, uh, what, Take Me to the River on it, I think. And exactly. it, it was fantastic record. And then when they did Fear of Music and it had Life During Wartime on it, and then... I, I thought Remain in Light was an absolute landmark that, that album. Is a, that is, a, is that the, the first Eno one? No, no. The first Eno one is more songs about building and food. That's actually the third Eno oh, one. Was, gosh, uh, I thought more, no, hang on a minute. I think more songs about buildings and food was produced by Bill Laswell because he's one of my all-time programming heroes. Well, Laswell may have been involved, but uh, and this, this could it. be wrong, but Wikipedia says right here, <laughs> that that was the album in which the band began its long-term collaboration with producer Brian Eno. And I thought so, you were just oh, reeling okay. this off from memory, Rich. I was really <laughs> impressed. Well, I did some research <laughs> well, got, because I, I remembered most of it. <laughs> Can I just say, I'm, sitting, I'm sat in a room with a phone and a piece of paper, no computers, nothing. I'm flying solo here. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> Working with the brain. I've got Annette right here with me. So, um, um, but, um, Tina Weymouth and... Um, Chris Franz. Chris Franz. Her husband, I believe. They were kind of taught the the, 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 the sort of toast of the 80s rhythm sections, weren't they? I mean, Dave, you, you were a sort of drummer. You, did you say that you'd met them, Dave Spears? Um, no, I did meet them. I met them um, at an after show, Debbie Harry after show, and it was completely unmemorable. I was trying to find somewhere to have a sneaky smoke, and I got introduced and kind of went, yeah, okay, bye, see ya. Oh, man. I used to really like Tom Tom Club as well. I thought they were really good. Yeah, I love, I love them. I like that whoop kind of synth noise that, Everybody used to get out. It of was all that sort of wob- all that wobbly pop and poly synth stuff, wasn't it? Just- <laughs> Did you do it again? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, speaking of speaking of synths, um, that that uh, in the um, burning down a house, there's that fantastic bit of Prophet Five kind of do 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 do. That was I remember that being a really kind of big influence because I'd never heard a sound like it before, and it, I wondered. Mm-hmm. Whether because Jerry Harrison was kind of credited with a lot of the synth work, wasn't it? But obviously he was He was playing guitar on that live, um, that live sh- shot there. I believe it was Bernie Worrell who played that, formerly of Parliament Funkadelic, probably uh, still. Parliament okay, that that's why he had the funk and was actually kind of featured quite a lot in the live show because he could really pull it off, couldn't he? Yeah, Bernie's great. Player, player, he is. Yeah. No, I loved it. I loved all that sort of that stuff that he was doing on uh, Burning Down the House. Anyway, if you get the chance, check the show notes, watch it. Because Tina Weymouth used to, you know, jump between synth bass and real bass. I, I have to say, that live show, she wasn't quite as hot on the on the synth bass as she is on the right. bass bass. There was a little bit of a uh, timing discrepancy, which kind of makes it real and kind of good. I like that. But uh, she was definitely not quite as on it. But I bet Geddy Lee could have done that a lot quicker. <laughs> <laughs> First to the end, go. I love their live show. Do you remember that live show that did where, um, I think that was a Stop Making Sense tour, wasn't it? Where yeah. they literally just had those kind of lamps. They had no lighting at all. I just had, <laughs> were they the first they people to do DVDs of shows as well? Weren't they for the, one of the first kind of, they'd release live show DVDs and what have you? Because it was a really big, 
big deal. I think it, it was Stop Making Sense for, for, Forever was everybody's favourite um, uh, live music video, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, before before they became more commonplace, before the age of DVD. Right. Okay. It was the one. It was the one kind of movie of a, of a band playing that you had to have. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. you're probably right. I mean, my- well, he starts off, you know, with the, wearing the big suit and comes on with the uh, with the Ghetto Blaster playing uh, the, the the rhythm section to Psycho Killer. He's just so fantastic to watch, isn't he? He's just kind of he's just got such a unique method of movement and kind of. Mm. Should have seen him walking down the Heathrow Express, mate. That was, was it. Was it like John Cleese <laughs> Ministry of Silly Walks? <laughs> like that. The train rattling around. Same as it ever was. Did anyone has anyone ever actually ever seen them in the flesh? Yes. Oh wow! How was it? Was it was it a great experience, or was it um, kind of average? Or uh, it was outstanding. Uh, as I remember it, Tina's relationship with the pocket was far closer than it was on that video that we watched. <laughs> she had both hands in, rather than just a bit know. of fluff. She now she was trying with both hands this time too, but it was just far away, and you could tell Chris was trying to cover for her. Um, I wanted to mention that I think one of the most significant things to come out of the you know Talking Heads collaboration was the album "My Life in the Bush of Ghosts," yeah, which credited. Yes. As a solo album, uh, kind of co-solo album between David Byrne and Brian Eno, you know, collaboration, I should say. And uh, don't know if everybody knows this, but on the web, you can go and download multi-tracks of this record and remix all day long, if you like. Ooh. Wow. It's actually a website. Really? I always wondered about the rhythm sections on there, because they were... Uh, was they're that, bonkers, aren't they? Yeah. They're re- I mean, was that all cut-up stuff played by them, or did they actually get kind of session people in? Does anyone know? I recall there being names on the record, but I don't really know the yeah. details of the sessions. And it may be, it may well be mentioned, you know, on this website because there's a lot of text involved as well as downloads on this website. And uh, my recollection of it is being the first example of using what they called at the time found audio found as sounds, the basis yeah. as the basis for some of these songs, which later became the very you know the heart and soul of what the sampling movement became about exactly. and, uh, how sounds were used later in the digital world but these guys did it all with tape yeah. this was in 80, 82 i think wasn't it think it was in 81 yeah it was really and, and tracks like tracks like Jezebel Spirit and America is waiting still fantastic almost yeah. almost timeless the rhythm section of America is waiting you know absolutely nuts but but fantastic absolutely brilliant stuff so you sure it would all be in tape? Because I mean, wouldn't they have had bell um, bell delays and stuff back then to to fly stuff in? Um, I my understanding at the time was that it was done with tape, but but I can't say for sure, and not with like a mellotron either, but you know, with actual flying things in kind of behavior. That's about it. Help me, somebody. <laughs> Excellent. There you go. So high, you can't get over it. <laughs> so wide, you can't get around it. That was some great stuff. Well, there you go. Talking heads. Um, talking about them there. <laughs> I haven't got a link, um, but I have I've got... Just been, I've been uh, just looking at the Wikipedia link for that, more songs about buildings and food, and it says that Brian Eno played synthesizer, piano, guitar, percussion, and background singing. And had nothing to do with the recording and production on here. So, oh, God I knows defer. who's right about this. But I defer. Oh, really? But it doesn't. But it also doesn't say that Bill Laswell produced it. But I was. I'm sure I've seen his name on that record. But I can't find it on this link, and I can't find any links to it. So maybe. Oh, well, there I, we go. I, maybe someone can put us right. Maybe Bill, if you're listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
one of the big appeals for me doing this is that it's it's very much an improvisation because uh, that that's the thing I think is missing from a lot of live music in in electronic music today is like really improvisation. I mean, I'm going to have a mixer on stage and I'm going to have the drum machine and I'm going to be controlling what everybody is feeding from their 303s. I mean, they're going to be sitting around me. And and for me, it's it's like really building it up from you know the the the, the singles they're sending me and and then program the, the the drum machine. So, yeah, it's really like improvisation, so I have no idea how long the piece is going to be. I mean, I I told the guys who are who are playing the 303s that it's going to be between two minutes and 30 minutes. Like this, there's, there's no way of telling. Which uh, is almost as long as that clip was. But um, this is a new a new piece. I mean, we did we did talk about this in the past. I mean, this is the 303 orchestra, but it's the Finnish guy Yuri Holkonen, who uh, we covered in past. Um, it was basically a, a whole group of people all playing TB303s with uh, which are presumably all synced together, and then come into a mixer. Yeah. And then he kind of conducts it in a madcap way. And there was some footage on YouTube, but the sound quality was terrible. And this is a new clip which kind of talks a little bit more about it. it yeah, well, that original clip that you, you showed was somebody taken with his phone in the crowd, which was just so misrepresentative. And yeah, th- so there crap. are several versions. Yeah, there are several versions of it actually on YouTube and, and, and other places which have a much higher quality. And you could really hear the sort of the burbling of the 303s and... Um, but no, I, I went to, I was lucky enough to be in Finland a couple of weeks ago, and I went to a studio called Silencio, which is a Spanish word for silence. And uh, they're, a, they're a working studio. They do mastering and they do um, educational uh, uh, talking. They do talking books and they do educational um, packages and you know language translation packages and that kind of stuff. They've got this beautiful mastering suite, uh, which is Pro Tools and Genelec speakers and all that kind of stuff. And they've got a live room with all these kind of microphones. And again, it's all very, very clean and very tasteful. And, and then out the back, they've got their playroom. And I have to say, this was the night after I'd seen Jar play at the Royal Albert Hall with all these 70s synthesizers. And then uh, we go into this back room, and it was a shrine to 80s Roland. Um, you know, they got a 106 and they got a two 303s, two 606s. They got an 808. They got a 909. They got a Mini Moog. They got they got an ARP 2500. Um, they got a Profit VS. They just got everything. Jupiter 8. You know, it was just uh, jaw dropping. It was a real wet dream for any any Sonic Stator. It, it really was. Um, and two of the guys were two of the guys who were in this orchestra. Ah, okay. Uh, and if you watch that video, there are two guys on the right. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a guy with really funny-looking hair. <laughs> and next to him is this guy, um, Petri, who I met. And then right on the end is, um, is Timo, I think his name is, who's the guy who owns all this gear. And they were saying about how they, they'd done this. And they, the concert that was there, they've done a better one since, which I think they're going to try and put up on the Internet. But they had people coming from all over the place because there weren't enough people around with working 303s, if you see what I mean. Well, made at one, one stage, the Silencio guys had got about five of them, and had only got two left that still worked. Oh, no. Well, I was looking, I was really concerned, because I noticed the way that they had the cables plugged in was very irresponsible. I mean, it could have easily snapped off the PCB there. I mean, I would have thought they would have modded them to make them a little bit more, you know, robust. I was, robust. I was, a, bit, I was a bit worried for them. Well, they're not exactly jumping around on stage, are they? They're just kind of sat there twiddling them very, very slightly. No, but if... Yeah, I suppose. All right, fair enough. But what, what was... Uh, the reason why I wanted to, to, to bring this up was because the guys that I went to visit with all this gear, they also record as the Acid Kings. 
And again, you can go to YouTube and you can see Acid Kings, and they're in a club in Finland doing all this kind of really sort of full-on uh, late 80s Acid House and doing it live with just the, you know, the, the 909 and a couple of 303s and all this burbly stuff, which we, ha- we don't really hear anymore. And they were telling me how um, they'd been to a festival in France and they played it naked. So they were doing Acid House naked, wearing kind of Kendo Nagasaki masks. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, they said, oh, in Finland, we, we, don't have, uh, we don't have much trouble with, uh, with taking our clothes off. <laughs> I said, oh, and they the said, oh, the French, the French thought we were a bit strange. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. You know, you've got these ultra-conservative, very, very nice Finnish guys, and uh, they have a couple of vodkas, and clothes come off, and the 303s are dangling in front of their important bits on, on, um, on straps, <laughs> and off they go. It was, and they haven't put that footage up yet, but you know they showed me a bit of it, and I, it was it was frightening. I can tell you. Really, um, I'm going to have to go. Oh God! Um, there are, I'm sorry. There are people waiting outside the door, and I've got to go. Oh, Dave, I'm really, really sorry. So you've set us up with a topic, and there we go. I was just going to. Yeah. Talk. Well, but Dave, yeah, thank you very much. They do, but uh, yeah. Okay, we will do. We will do. Uh, all right. Anyway, Take sorry. Care. Short but sweet. Oh yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. Anyway, for your time, and speak to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Hi. I think Finnish people are a bit strange sometimes because I remember when I was touring, oh. doing PR PR tour in uh, um, in Finland. We were in Helsinki and we ended up going to a nightclub, and it was uh, there was this sort of nosebleed techno. And I went downstairs and the walls were black and there was just purple UV lighting. And I had to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom and there were these guys injecting nicotine into their gums to kind of get themselves off and it was all a bit sort of lord bit rancid really it sort of made me feel yeah. a bit like oh i'm not sure about that it, you know it seems a bit strange to what, me what do you mean about like plant food or something is that right i don't know where they got it from and maybe they sort of uh, I, I hate to think how they got it i mean you know <laughs> just could have boiled up cigarette butts or whatever i don't know but it seemed pretty kind of nasty i mean this would have been in about 90 something so it wasn't long um after um finland had sort of come out from under the influence of the Russian Federation. I was just going to say I've tried snorting vast quantities of snuff, which probably does much the same thing. But, <laughs> uh, it could have been like chewing tobacco or something, couldn't it? Um, What's that movie where they get hold of that guy in the back of a truck and they stick about 20 nicotine patches on him and he's like freaking out. And they're basically <laughs> saying to him, like, give us the money or the information or whatever it is. Um, well, and if you do, we'll take you to hospital, and if you don't, you're going to die. What, what was that? I don't know. I haven't was seen that. Was that one of the Lethal Weapon movies, maybe? Oh, was Joe know. Pesci the they're hyper the guy? A, they're in the back of this van, and they've covered him in... Um, it's in funny. That's, not for him. Well, yeah, that's a pretty horrible way to go. Dave. But, Dave Spears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sucking tobacco. Just trying to... <laughs> How is it? You know, regarding the TB303 orchestra, I think that story about them performing naked is rather uh, ironic because as I watched the video that we saw where they're all dressed in identical suits, I I wondered who was doing their tailoring as I watched the performance. Well, they're wearing conductor's outfits, aren't they? They're kind of, you know, frock coats with kind of tails at the back and, and what have you. A bit later on in that clip, actually, he says, you know, the three o three. The reason he uses three o threes is because three o threes are probably the most recognisable electronic music instrument there is. You know, if to, to the layman, to kind of the majority of people. And I hadn't really thought about it like that, but I, I suppose it probably is. Might depend on the lay people you happen to know. Well, I suppose so. Because around my neighbourhood, I don't know of anybody who knows what a TB three o three is. 
That's because they weren't going to loads of clubs in the 80s and dropping loads of E and listening to, you know, back-to-back 303 records. I must admit, it didn't do much for me and what I heard. I mean, and that, but I'm sure it has its beautiful moments. I mean, it, it sounds like there's quite a lot of happy accidents. I mean, he was holding up a card with the number five on them and, you know, what have you. And so there was presumably some sort of structure, but it didn't really sound like there was a great deal. That kind of cut into my perception of, the, of his speech about how improvised it was. I think two of those random lines is enough playing together on a record, personally. I don't think you need much more than that going on. How I many mean, did he have? There was like eight or ten people there, oh, wasn't there? Too was many. That? Too many, yeah. Got a little bit a little bit more than random, I would say. Sonic Talk. Sponsored by Yamaha Music Production. Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-Series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal path and full Cubase AI4 integration www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk That was uh, an ad there for Yamaha that very kindly continued to sponsor the show. If you want to show your appreciation to them via us, please go and click on yamahasynth.com Well, okay, look, let's jump from that into the uh, the Hobnox because that is kind of 303-909 based, so um, I'll play that. Okay, so it wasn't the best pattern I've ever done, but it's kind of remarkable <laughs> when you consider that that was all done in a Flash environment. You know, it's actually a Flash and JavaScript kind of program thing by a chap called uh, Andre Michel, who um, who's basically created this new sort of music environment, audio environment called Hobnox. So there's two 303s and a sort of uh, 909, and then two rows of what look like boss stomp pedals. So you get you know, detune, delay, pitch delay, flanger, reverb, EQ, and tube drive, what have you. And they're all, you play with them sort of from within the web browser. It's pretty advanced stuff. And, and you can, you know, drag cables to route things to and from, what have you. When you consider that, you know, you can just load it from a, from a browser, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, brilliant. We were blown away, I have to say. A friend uh, sent it through a couple of days before, actually. He sent the link through. We watched the video that he did, and it was just stunning. I mean, it's in Flash, for Christ's sake. Amazing. I, I know. <laughs> I think it's kind of it's a Java Flash based kind of interaction um, that 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 makes it work. I mean, it's all in software, obviously, and quite exciting. Somebody said um, that the the best thing about it is it reminds me of when Pre- uh, Propellerheads first brought out Rebirth, and everybody said, "Hey, look at what computers can do." And it just seems like this might be another step into the kind of the consciousness of your average punter about using computers for making music. And then, of course, we'll get driven into some musical cul-de-sac by all this and then some young kid will come out with like a, a broken acoustic guitar through a fuzz box with some amazing guitar sound that nobody's heard before and start a completely new movement of sort of punk things and and we'll all go oh why were we all doing this east needs to say something oh okay i'm gonna, sorry i'm gonna have to go away for a second 
it's funny that this is is using a nine oh nine three oh three. I mean, I'd maybe maybe I'm missing something. Do you think, given all this kind of focus on this technology, where 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 the cycle of kind of things coming around again has just got a bit shorter? Are we about to have an acid um, revolution? Oh my word! Can you imagine that? <laughs> again, the the bizarre thing that happened to me the other day. I was wandering around uh, in town, and there were all these um, teenage girls waiting at a bus stop, dressed like um, Banana Rama. And I just couldn't quite get my head around it, you know, and it's this sort of 80s kind of style. And I was just thinking, wow, this is really, is it really so long ago that it's actually due for another kind of reinvention? And it made me feel incredibly old because I mean, I yes. think it's a crap look personally, but, you know. Ra-ra <laughs> <laughs> skirts. Yeah, it's just stuff. Why would you want to go there again? I don't know. Socks and leggings, bring it back. That's what I say. Oh, yeah. Tucker boots and uh, leg warmers. <laughs> Oh, God, I sound like a right old fart. Rich, I, I can't imagine this made you terribly excited about the, the thought of using a 909 and 303 in software, particularly, did it? Or was it... Uh, did oh, it- I quite liked it. I liked it. It looked great. I just was looking at it now. It's fantastic. It's really nice. It's very nicely programmed, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you could get quite fluent in it. And presumably, because it's net-based, you, could, you might be able to kind of get sessions together with other people as well and sort of start these kind of these jams, although obviously it's going to be slightly limited with those two instruments. Maybe he's going to bring some more in there. Yeah, well, limitations are good sometimes. I, I like this thing. It's fine. It's cool. It, ain't, it isn't a lot of things, but it is what it is, and it's cool. It does remind me a little of the emergence of Rebirth. Yeah, um, I think that's a fair... When propeller heads got off the ground. Hobnox, go and check it out. It's really quite remarkable what can be done in terms of just sort of web browsing technology with Flash and a bit of JavaScript. Kind of quite remarkable, and it is actually causing a bit of a stir, and people don't know how he does it. He's kind of... He's doing things that you're not supposed to be able to do with ActionScript and Flash. And that's what's sort of quite exciting from a sort of technology point of view. From, from one extreme to another. soundtrack of a rather um it was rather beautifully lit and um quite well executed youtube video from a chap called the real retro synth and it was uh of his ob ob2 oberheim ob2 voice and i know that um both dave and uh, mr rich hilton have have love of these particular types of things so i thought it might be good to talk about it i um these were from what 1975 two oscillator one filter one lfo two envelopes they're kind of, is that what the SEMS modules are based on? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. This was two SEMs and a sequencer and right. a keyboard. Wow. I've never played with OBs at all. And I know, because um, Will, Will from Goldfrap, he's got an Oberheim 4 voice, which I've not had a chance. He showed me a bit about what it can do, and it did sound rather marvelous, but I've not had a chance to play with it because he had a patch set up, so I couldn't, I couldn't get my hands on it. But I know, Rich, you, you said, I want to talk about this because um, it obviously means something special to you. Well, yeah, in the mid-70s, I began my uh, illustrious and short-lived drive-by retail career. And uh, at the time, these were the absolute pinnacle hot product. We had them in the store, and this was the first one I saw was the Oberheim 2 voice. And I couldn't wait. I loved playing around with this thing. It was fantastic. And though this man's demo was kind of nice, it hardly scratches the surface of what a pair of SEMs and that 
uh, eight-step sequencer, which I believe would go to 16. I think it was two banks of eight that could be strung end-to-end. Or some, I'm sure somebody will correct me on the website if I'm wrong about that. But what the SEM module, first of all, is one of the great, rich-sounding synthesizers of all time, like up there with the Mini Moog kind of thing and the ARP 2600, in my view. And uh, putting two of them in a box, having duophonic, the ability to play, as I recall, two notes on the keyboard at the same time was... With that sort of fatness to both of the notes, rather than some sort of divide-down filtered thing that everybody else was doing, it was magnificent. And then shortly after, we had a four-voice, and then the four-voice with the programmer, and I, I still look back very fondly on those days. So how come there were so many SE- oh, you can buy SEM modules? I mean, were they not, does that mean people sort of broke these things apart and, and had those as separate things? You could buy one just on its own. Later, I know somebody who had one who had brought out, there was a way to bring out everything on it to a patch point on a mini jack on the front panel of the thing. Like it, it sat sort of at that slight angle and it, uh, and above the table and on the front plate, I had a friend who had every single patch point on the thing broken out. And it was basically like a modulus synth. It was, and such rich sounding oscillators in the thing and the filters were outstanding the enveloping was nice. If I remember correctly, it was a modified kind of three-stage envelope thing, kind of like Mini Moog in that regard. Dave, uh, I know you're you're a bit of a fan of these as well. I mean, do you get often get a chance to put your hands on one? Yeah, yeah. Have and you got everything one? that Richard said and more? Uh, not a two-voice, no. But we've got a couple of stems, and um, yeah, I do. A couple of people that I work with have got the. Um, the full voice and one's got an eight voice and they're just glorious they're real musicians tools there's something you know just so playable about them and tweakable there's something magic definitely i can't um, recommend them highly enough i think they're lovely lovely so the full voice had it was programmable right yeah, well, no, it's cool. Uh, they made a programmer module after they made the original four voice because they found that having four completely free-floating filters out there was, was making it hard to achieve consistent sound across the four voices, given the slight differences from analog module to analog module. So they made this master thing at the left end that had eight buttons. Again, it may have been two banks of eight, I don't recall. That, and a master filter and a few other master controls. And the programmer would essentially recall the master board settings but not all the settings across the entire faceplate of the unit so you did have to have them set up somewhat consistently in order to be able to use the master section programmer to be able to generate predictable results right oh i see so it wasn't fully programmable but there was a programmable aspect to it that would allow you to produce a level of consistency across the sems where assuming they were set up similarly well, I, and I wonder on a technical level if this was uh, a breakthrough in scanning keyboard technology or if it was the same basic keyboard that they'd been using before. I don't know the answer to that question, but there had to have been uh, numerous uh, things to surmount in order to bring this kind of thinking about. And it was very ambitious thinking for its time. It must have been. I think that the track that weirdly enough turned me on to it was um, Rose Royce. Do you remember that Love Don't Live Here Anymore? I think most of that was done with a full voice. Oh, really? That's wonderful. And it just had such a gorgeous bottom end. It was like, I have to find this machine, seek it out and play with it. And we did. And it, they were hideously expensive over here. Back um, when the dollar was worth something, eh? <laughs> yeah, and import duty was massive. The pound, pound, The pound's not really worth much more either at the moment, so... 
possibly the best known example of an audio of the audio that I know of is uh, the song Birdland by Weather Report, where the main mm. the main chord figure is played on an Oberheim four voice, and throughout that album. And I believe that period of Pat Metheny, uh, Lyle Mays began using it too, and it made that very, very sweet sort of fluty, paddy thing that he used to use quite a bit. And uh, He still takes that out on the road. Lyle Mays does? Yeah, yeah. The last time I saw him, which was quite a while ago, he had uh, you know the expanders sort of stacked up by the Sinclair, and it was like, my God, you seriously take that out on the road? Amazing. Poor tech. Yeah. And and then Jan, Jan Hammer used to use it for his keyboardy guitar sound during the uh, I'm playing Hendrix era with the Probe controller. He had a, a I think a six voice Oberheim setup uh, so he could do uh, his guitaristic thing playing through a Marshall. Amazing, amazing. I mean the whole th- you know the Oberheim thing because Tom started building kind of add-on devices, didn't he? And I think that's where the SEM came from. It was a kind of, you know, I need another voice for my Minimoog, as it were. So this kind of became an add-on device. I think that's how that started. Mm-hmm. When I was looking on eBay, I mean, I must admit, I couldn't, you know, there were all these Oberheim, like, one voices, and I've just never seen any of these since. Before, there's, there's a whole kind of treasure trove of undiscovered technology in the Oberheim back catalogue, as far as I can tell. Mark, you've been very quiet. Are you still there? I am still here. Um, have you are you familiar with any of the Oberheim SEM stuff and the the two voice or what have you? Uh, I've played about with all the white face stuff. Yeah, Is that's that the Sam's the, the Sam's things. Yeah, that's the one that we yeah. had on the video. It's- but I owned a Matrix Six, which is sort of vaguely based on that, isn't it? I think. Well, I'd say no, probably not. <laughs> no, isn't it? Okay, it's <laughs> sort of sounds similar. Yeah, Matrix Six had the uh, membrane switches, didn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I remember because. Uh, I've seen one in Iraq for a while. I think people used to use them for wi- um, from controlling from wind controllers. What I remember, I don't know. If they I had- used to use one for MIDI guitar because you could split it into six channels quite happily, and then you could uh, put each string on a separate <laughs> MIDI channel, and it tracked quite nicely. So I meant you could do like bendy things with your fingers, and the- and it would follow it, and without bending all the strings at once. Yeah, always somebody, handy. Somebody get Gibson on the phone. Yeah, gee. I think I think we're onto something, boys. <laughs> so there we go from um, from cutting edge software to um, beautiful antiquated analog electronics. Thank you very much for joining us this week. Uh, we've sort of had various people dipping in and out, so we've already lost Dave Robinson, but we'll say thank you for him for joining us from uh, Pro Sound News Europe, and we'll say thank you for Mr. Mark Tinley for rushing back and uh, joining us as well. Thank you very much, Mark Tinley. You're welcome. Uh, Mark Tinley is available at myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley, or one word. You can Excellent. check out his work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, uh, Mr. Rich Hilton from from Connecticut, uh, thank you for joining us this week also. I had a lovely time. Thank you, guys. Good to be back together again. It feels like a long break. Do you um do you have to go off to work now and um, do do all that thing, or have you got a nice, relaxed day ahead of you? Oh, no. It's fi diddly d. It's the studio life for me. Well, have a great day then, Rich, and thanks for joining thank us. Thank you. And, of course, Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com, makers of fine musical instruments of the software variety. Mm, thank you. Thank you for joining us as well. Um, and I think that's it for this week. Um, next week, we shall be back, and we're going to talk about talk boxes because we didn't get it in this week, and we do want to talk about it next week. So um, we shall see you all next week. Thank you very much. That's Sonic Talk number 82. 
Okay, once again, we'd be happy to hear your feedback. And if you've got any music that you think relates to any of the stuff we've been talking about, send it in and we'll um, spread it around the gang and maybe we'll feature it in a future episode. If you want to leave feedback, uh, remember you just email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com. You can um, send us text or an MP3 if you feel like it. Uh, We also have a Skype handle where there is uh, an answer phone continually on 24-7, and that is Sonic Talk, and that's the Skype handle. We've also got a US Skype in number, which links through to the same answer phone, and that's uh, a US number, 312-376-8089. That's 312-376-8089. Thanks for listening. Sonic States. Rob's call.